right, so if you want to head way down there right now, uh, there will be waiting for you. Everyone else, I'd love for you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. But I'm actually going to read to you the, uh, the whole chapter there. And I, if you have your Bibles, I'd always encourage you to bring your Bibles to church just because I want you to know how, I want your, your, you to, I want you to understand uh, how it feels and where things are in the Bible. And uh, I want you to get familiar with your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, the blue ones uh, in the seats in front of you are there for you to take as, as uh, our gift to you. We want everyone who, wants, who desires to have a Bible to have a Bible. So here we go. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to focus on verse 10 today. But I'm going to read to you 1 through 10 just to give you a little bit of context. So here we go. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you, used, you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love which he has, lo- which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and, ra- and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So what he's saying there, you, our salvation is not by works, it's by faith, it's unmerited. But then he says this, and I want you to catch this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. <clears throat> Today, If you want to know what the main idea is, it's this. is that you were saved for good works, not because of good works. Let me repeat that again. You were saved for good works. You weren't saved because of good works. Let's pray. Father, as we learn more about who we are and our spiritual standing in Christ today, I pray that you would make known to us the mystery of our salvation. Father, forgiving us for taking our salvation for granted at times and thinking that we earned the right for you to die on the cross for us. So I pray that we would always remember what the Christ child, what Christmas represents, is the death and resurrection of Jesus. As we look upon your word, God, help me to communicate it clearly and accurately. And when your Holy Spirit triggers something in us, that we, we would push against, may we yield to your spirit and learn from, lean into the conviction. And the whole church said, Amen. 
So we've been reviewing the series uh, uh, on Ephesians, and we've been titling it The Who and the Do, which is really just my silly way of divide, helping you understand that Ephesians is divided into two parts. It's divided into talking about our standing with Christ, and then how that standing affects how we behave and how we act. And the way that you should look at uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3 is like a sandwich. Okay? So I always think that the best part of a sandwich is the middle, is, is the meat. Who agrees with me there, right? Like, it's definitely meat. It's not the bun. The bun is good, right? You better to have a, you know, a nice bun than a crusty one. But the heart of a good sandwich to me is like the meat. So I'll go to Subway and you're like, they'll ask what I want. I'll be like, I'll take a foot-long Italian and then give me double the meat because the meat's the best part of the sandwich to me. And uh, I want you to think of Ephesians like that, that the best part of your standing with Christ is sandwiched in between chapter 1 and chapter 3, right? So chapter 1 tells you about your blessing. Chapter 3 tells you that uh, we are one people, but the meat and the core of it is actually in chapter 2. Is that how we define our worth and our value and our identity is through Jesus. That we are saved people through the blood of Christ, right? That's who you are. You want to know who you are? And if you've come to a place where you've accepted Jesus, you're a child of God. You are a saved person. You are a redeemed person. That is the core of who you are. And out of that, you are so blessed and you are also one people, right? So you're blessed in chapter 1. You're one people in chapter 3. And then it comes out of the fact that we are a saved people. And the reason that I'm spending so much time on this is is, is I don't know if you know this or not, but since day one of being here at Matter, my whole intention has been to get us to be evangelistically focused as a church. That the world out there needs the message of Jesus, and whether we are here, or in Three Hills, or in Ghost Pine, or in Calgary, or wherever we are, we need to be missionally minded with the gospel. And I believe that Ephesians, is a timely book because it speaks to how to minister to Canadians. Because Canadians are going through a little bit of an identity crisis. Okay? I don't know if you were. Uh, oh, I, I don't know if you. Uh, how many of you go on Instagram? But I do. I'm kind of one of those old people. Um, and I saw a reel of a news story that was just really weird. Maybe you've heard about it. It was a person who identified themselves as transabled, meaning this, is that they identified themselves as blind when they were actually physically able to see. And so because they felt like they were, their identity was in their blindness, here's what they did. They poured bleach in their eyes until they were no longer able to see. Okay. And if you read the story, she's very happy being blind. I, which I don't understand. And uh, while I do not think that people in Ghost Pine and Three Hills are spending their weekdays pouring bleach in their eyes, I do think that there are people in Ghost Pine and Three Hills that are making the same mistake. So whether you're pouring bleach in your eyes or you're finding your identity in your work, everyone at some level is 
putting their identity and their worth in something other than Jesus. And it's crushing the culture. You want to talk about the things that are going on in the world, the hot button issues, the social issues, the LGBTQ issues, you got to understand something that the root of it, it's not about sexuality, it's about identity. They identify in this. They find their savior in that. And here we have a message in the book of Ephesians that tells us that our identity is not found in our sin or it's not found in our work, it's not found in our, in our marriages, our relationships, or it's found in what church? It's found in Jesus. And I believe that we have a message to share in the good news of people that need to hear it when they are struggling with their identity. So just as a recap, we've been learning that the past three weeks that our identity comes in our salvation. That you are saved. That is who you are. That's where your identity lies. That's how every, everything about you, from how you view the world, to how you work, to how you raise your kids, to how you spend your money, all revolves around the fact that you are saved and redeemed in Christ. And we've been exploring what that means. And so just to give you a little bit of review of the last three weeks, we said that Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, told us that we were dead in our sins, right? And that is very important for us to remember where we came from, that we were dead in our trespasses. And to be spiritually dead does not mean that we are physically dead, or psychologically dead. It is a real death, but it is a spiritual death, okay? And we need to understand that, you know, the, the death that we have, like sin is such a pervasive thing in our life that we are dead. The Bible calls it uh, a spiritual death. We need to be able to realize that we are more sinful and depraved than we care to admit. And because of that, we are powerless to overcome our sin and the consequences of our sin. Romans 8, chapter 3 puts it this way. Uh, or 8, 3 puts it this way. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. The KGV puts it this way. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ Jesus died for us, the ungodly. The NIV puts it this way. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. You see the friend the see the thing is friends is that you and I until we you and I need to realize is that our sin like a dead person uh, when we are dead to sin that makes us both useless and powerless right have you ever tried to get a dead body to do something useless right completely and utterly useless and it is also powerless it can't choose to do the right thing it can't choose to focus on Jesus. It can't choose to overcome its sin. It's dead. It's useless and it's powerless. And you and I need to understand that we are powerless to make our relationship with God right. And we are powerless to fix the, relation, the, the sin that we have caused between each other. So for example, just let me, by example. Let's say that you have a best friend, okay? And uh, you and I, you and them hung out. And then you did something, you know you did something to hurt them. And you broke them. You broke them in a really, really, really bad way. You hurt them. Okay? 
And you know that you hurt him, and you feel sorry for that. And so you go and you say sorry, and you repent, and you say, listen, I made a mistake, I was sorry, I was wrong. And they don't forgive you. You were totally and utterly powerless to mend the relationship because of your sin. You and I need to understand that, because here's the thing. Here's the thing, is that until you understand how much we, need, we are dead to sin, how much we can't overcome our sin and make it right with God, we won't understand the good news of Jesus. You see, you and I owe God for all the sin that we've done. Everything that we've done against God, everything that we've done against people, God demands payment for that, okay? And, that, and I want you to think about that for a minute. I want you to, I'm not trying to hurt you here, but I want you to think about just how you and I have missed the mark and how we've hurt other people, either unintentionally or, or intentionally. How are you going to pay that back? You can't. You are going, you're going to try to make it right as best you can, but in the end, you need a savior. You need someone to rescue someone. And that is what chapter, or Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 6 tells us, is that Jesus is the hero of our own story. Is that Jesus, our deaths can't, can't pay back God enough for our sin. And so what Jesus does is that he dies in our place. And he rose from the dead, proving that Jesus was enough. And if we believe that his death was enough to pay God back, we are made alive in the right standing before God in the afterlife. So here's what happens. You and I are dead to sin. Uh, Our sin is, we owe God for all the sin that we cause. And then Jesus comes as a baby. That's what we celebrate in Christmas. And about 30 years from that, everything that was done to you, Every word that was heard, every time that you were neglected, every time that someone said something ill of you, any time that someone forgot you, all that sin that was done to you was put on Jesus. And everything that you have done to others was put on Jesus. And Jesus paid the price so that you and I could have a relationship with him. And that's where identity lies. And then Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 8 and 9 tells us that we didn't earn the right for Jesus to die for us. That there was nothing that you and I did that made Jesus go, you know what, he earned that out of obligation, I guess i got to die for him. When he died for your sins, that was an act of unmerited favor. We call that what? Grace. And so... That's just a little bit of a review of your analogies. Chuck, Chuck Swindoll has a, has a great analogy of this. He, he talks about the idea of someone getting on an airplane and traveling from, uh, let's say, Calgary to Vancouver. And they get on the plane, and they get in the air, and they arrive in Vancouver, and they said, I did it. Right? I flew the plane, I got on the plane, and I made it to Vancouver. I did it by myself. And the truth of the matter is, you and I will look at that person and go, you're nuts, because you didn't do it. The airplane did it, and the pilot did it, and you had to trust him to take you to a new destination. And that's exactly what we're talking about in verses 8 and 9, is that the idea is, is that you didn't do it. Jesus did it for you. He's the pilot you trust to take you from hell to heaven. Okay? 
So we are not saved by our good works. And that's really important for us to know. It's because it's really easy for us who have been Christians for a long time, including myself, to fill into this. So then we read at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which is our text today. So if you're not saved by good works, what is then the uh, importance of good works? Do we not do good works at all? And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 answers this by saying this. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we may walk in him. Let me reiterate this again. You are saved to do good works. You are not saved because of good works. So let's talk about this first little uh, part here they, when it says you are God's workmanship. What does that mean? Well, <clears throat> some commentators point to the idea, they look at the Psalms uh, for reference, and there's a famous Psalm that you should all know, and it goes like this. For you formed me in my inward parts, and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, O God, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made, being made in secretly, intricately woven into the depths of the earth. For your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them in the days that they were formed for me when you were there at the beginning. So it's this idea that God is the creator of you and I, that you and I are intricately and wonderfully made in Jesus, right? Sorry, in God. And when it comes to Jesus, what, what, what this text is saying is that when you and I come to salvation in Jesus, when we come to a place where he saves us and redeems us and gives us a new nature, he is intricately woven and he is creating a new creation that is fearfully and wonderfully made in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? Meaning this, you are God's handiwork set on display for the whole world to see. Do you think of yourself like that? You look at yourself and understand that you are God's workmanship, that you are his masterpiece, that the, and it's, it's designed to show Jesus. You are a walking, talking advertisement for the goodness of Jesus Christ. So let me, let me try and give you an analogy of what I mean by this. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of picking on Colton here, and I'm not picking his business out of any other business, so please don't get mad at me in this. But the other day I saw a Facebook post with Colton's name on it, right? And what's the name of your business, Colton? Okay, that's gutsy, right? <laughs> to put your name on the front there. Because here's, what, here's why I think it's... Uh, Here's where I think it's gussy. When uh, Colton did that, he had this advertisement for something that he was built. I think it was a steel shed or something, right? And he's like, look at this. Look at the quality of this. And, you know, uh, this is, you know, the quality of the work and, you know, all that kind of thing. And I said, man, that is gutsy, right? Because if he didn't do a good job, his name's posted on that, right? But his name was posted on it. And here's what I'm trying to say. The, the, the work that he did, the handiwork that he did in building that, that shed, actually speaks to the quality of work that Colton does. Same with any other business. And that's exactly what this text is saying. The idea is, is the good works that you do speak or a testimony of God's redemptive work in your life. Okay? 
You might, you're not Mueller built. You are Jesus built. Okay? And you are a walking, talking advertisement for Jesus. Every good thing that you do is a testimony of the power of Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered why you don't just disappear when you believe in Jesus? I wonder that. You know, when you come to faith in Jesus and you pray a prayer and you're like, Jesus, I will accept you into my life and I want to be saved and I want to go to heaven when I die. Why not at that minute do you not just disappear? Any takers? Has anyone ever wondered that? Am I the only one? Okay, I'm the weird one. <laughs> okay. It's because you're, it's because God created you to show off Jesus. You're a walking, talking advertisement about what he did. The world needs to see God's artwork through the good that you do. God has pre-planned good works for you to do, and you are to walk in them. Okay? God's handiwork is display on for others to see. God saved you as a testimony of Jesus. God didn't save you so that your good works could sit on a shelf. He has a purpose for us to fulfill. And since our good works do not earn our salvation, what then is the purpose of our good works? We are, we are not saved because of our self-effort. Instead, we are God's creation. And as God is the artist, he signs the autograph of our lives and deserves all the recognition and glory for we are his workmanship. Our good works don't earn us salvation. They glorify God. So the way I think I put this is this, is that, I don't know if you want to flip to that legalism slide there, John, but legalism by definition is this. If you want to know the definition of legalism is this, is doing good things to attain God's favor. So the more self-righteous things they do, the more strict you are, or sorry, or the more often you do it, the more you attain God's favor in your life, okay? You're saved by works. That's not what grace-based theology is. Grace-based theology says that you do things, good things, because you've already got it. Do you understand the difference between the two? Yes. <clears throat> God, I, you friends, I believe that God has a calling on your life. That God has designed you from day one to do good things, and those good things are to show off how good Jesus is. Okay? About how amazing he is, about how great he is, about the testimony that he has done in our lives. I believe every good thing you do from the way that you work, to how you raise your kids, to how you engage in your own marriage, everything that you are called to, every facet of life, your work, your relationships, your friendship, the church, everything is an opportunity that God has placed before you to do good work so that they glorify, people can be glorified and share the name of Jesus Christ. It's really, really cool. Put simply, church is not about us, it's about giving God the glory. So, <clears throat> the work of Jesus saving is God's handiwork in your life. You want to hit the next slide for me there? So, <clears throat> I want you to go, go hit the one with a picture on it. Okay. 
People need to see good works because they need to be pointed to Jesus. This is a map of the Ghost Pine area and all all the towns around. And I just want you to stop and think about what is happening right now while you and I are at church. There's Lingen, there's Swalwell, there's Three Hills, there's Ghost Pine, Torrington, Winborn, Innisville. And in each one of those places right now, across the map, there are hurting people. People who have lost loved ones this Christmas time. People who have lost people due to cancer. People who have had broken relationships. There are kids hiding in the corner right now because their parents are abusing them. and They don't want to hear it. There's drunkenness. There's addiction. There's all that kind of thing just in that area right now. People are hurting and they need Jesus. Okay? And the good works that you and I do show off the value of grace. And people need that. Put simply, it's this, is that good works help us fulfill Jeremiah 27, or 29, verse 7. Do you remember we talked about this last year when we went through Daniel? And we, Daniel, we told that Daniel was put in a place of exile. You and I are placed in a place of exile right here in, in, in this area. And that we are to seek the welfare of the city that you have sent us into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare is your welfare. That when we do good works, anything from praying to helping people out to sharing the good news of Jesus, God has called you to do and set you beforehand. And people need to hear that. Can I challenge you with something? I'm going to challenge you with something and I'll leave it to this, is that I think we need to remember the schoolhouse. Can anyone tell me exactly how this church started? was in a schoolhouse. It was an outreach. From day one in our church, our little tiny church, Manor has never been or never will be a church that exists to self-satisfy itself. That the very first thing that Manor was since the day that the schoolhouse was formed was that it was a church that looked to do good works so that people could see how great Jesus was. And I think we need to remember that. Is that at the core and the DNA of manner is an evangelistic and missional focus. Where we see that there are people hurting. And people came from Prairie and came out here and said these people need Jesus. Let's help them with the schoolhouse. And then from there came this church. And ever since that day there has been a drive to serve and bless people both in our community, both in Three Hills, but around the world. That's why we spend so much time on missions. Can I challenge you with something today? And it's, it's just a thought. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not gospel. But I'm going to ask that if you call Manor home, that if you've been here day in and day out for a long, long time, I'm going to ask that you change your mentality of the Sunday service. That the Sunday service is the primary place where you seek to serve people. Amen. There are people that come in this door day in and day out on Sunday that I just can't get to all the time. 
And I need the church to remember that this is a place to serve. I want you to think about this for a minute. Have you ever, I know this sounds strange, but have you ever just walked in the service and prayed about where to sit? Ah, this, this is a strange thing to pray about, right? But And I admittedly don't do it myself, but I'm just wondering, like, maybe the Lord would have you sit beside someone who needs, who needs some comfort. Did you ever think about that? So, but then you might be going, Pastor Dan, if the service is not if a place to serve, where do I get fed? And I would actually tell you that the best place for you to get fed is actually in a small group or an accountability partner. So that you come to church and you know, church is go time. That you come here and you just ask, when you, the minute that you walk in the door, you ask yourself, Jesus, who can I serve today? Who can I bless today? Who can I pray for today? Who can I sit beside today? What needs to be done? Because there are people, uh, that, people in the church that, that need us to show the good works of Jesus Christ. So, so uh, that's my challenge for you today. That you are saved to do good works. That you are not saved because of them. You are God's handiwork on display for all the world to see how great salvation is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness and kindness towards us. Thank you that you have saved us from our sin. Thank you that you have redeemed us and that it is by grace. And God, we pray that we would always understand and remember that we are here to serve and to bless and that you have prepared good works for us to do in advance. And the whole church said, Amen.